working if this is yep it is okay um jesus is working his way through he's just worked a, a series of miracles uh where we've gone past the sermon on the mount jesus is uh working his way through uh the northern kingdom up you know up above uh in the galilee area and he's doing a series of healings and teachings that go with the healings and he had just healed someone saying uh up in the he cast out a, there was uh, 32 says, as they were going, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. Uh, after the demon was cast out, which you assume was done by Jesus, the mute man spoke. Uh, the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And uh, that phrase is why miracles, Jesus was doing miracles, so that that phrase would be uttered. Nothing like this has ever been done. Well, that's the point. That what tells you who Jesus is, the fact that nothing like this has ever been done, and the people know it. It's not the Pharisees or the religious leaders who are pointing this out who it should have been. It's the people. Uh, so here's the Pharisees' response. So the people are saying, wow, this is amazing. Nothing like this has ever happened. And verse 34 says, but the Pharisees were saying, he cast out the demons by the ruler of demons. Uh I, and they're saying this in the crowd. You know, the people, that's a response to, this is a direct response to what the people just said. The people said, oh, I've never seen anything like this. And the Pharisees are saying, well, of course you haven't, because Satan's doing this. Uh, so whatever Jesus is doing, they're actively trying to undermine his message. Uh, if you can't destroy the message, attack the messenger. They could not dispute the miracles or Christ's teachings. So every time they tried to dispute his teachings, uh, he would just crush them with scripture. Uh, he made them look stupid. Uh, so what they did, they were left with nothing but to attack his character, basically calling him evil, without any proof of evil. Um, conjuring up the worst possible thing you could think of and try to make it stick to them. Uh, this way, you don't have to deal with his message or his miracles. You could just lie. Uh, it's the simplest thing to do. It's an old political move. If I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but there's quite a few political ads on TV right now. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've turned your TV on and gone five minutes without seeing one, but man, they can get pretty nasty. And a lot of it is part of this. Um, it doesn't have to be true as what an old politician once told me. I, people just have to hear it. I just have to say it, and they just have to hear it, is what he said to me, with a smile on his face. Uh, it, one of the best ones, it, it, just to give you an idea of what they're doing here, uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but on there's an ad put out by the Democrats against Oz, and I'm not supporting, I'm not officially supporting anyone, I'm just telling you about the ad. There's an ad out, uh, attacking Oz when he was a researcher that he killed puppies. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with him being, uh, you know, a senator, but it obviously uh, they're going right for something that has nothing to do with it. And they show these pictures of these beagles that are like crying, and they associate it with Oz. Uh, it's much the same thing. Uh, if you can't come up with something uh, true, come up with something nasty. Uh, the very things that proclaim that the spirit of God was with Jesus, the miracles they claimed were from Satan. When they said this again after another miracle in chapter 12, that's when Jesus... So, a couple chapters later, Jesus does the same thing, and they say the same thing about him. And that's where Jesus gives that 
powerful teaching on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Always connect those two things. What's going on? You remember it said the unforgivable, all things could be forgiven against uh, except blasphemy for the Holy Spirit. And we always wonder, you know, we're always afraid that we did that and I might go to hell because I might have done it. Um, that teaching is a connection to this uh, accusation. It's a warning. Um, what you're doing is you're saying that what is from God is from Satan. Uh, and you're proclaiming it. Uh, that's the blasphemy. And that's in Luke, uh, also, and from Luke uh, 19.20, it says, one of Jesus' response from another uh, book, And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? <laughs> Jesus is really cool, man. So he's saying, you're, of course you can cast out demons, you're from Satan. Well, apparently they're, they're, they had people that were casting out demons, and some of them were their, their children that were, had a ministry. And he's saying, well, if, if that's what I'm doing, aren't your children doing the same thing? Uh, so they will be your judges. What he's saying is, well, let your own children judge you. Ask them if that's how they're doing it. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's Jesus' response. You know, if you're wrong, then the kingdom of God is here. The people saw it. He's validating what the people said. Nothing like this has ever been done. And the fact that nothing like this has ever been done tells you the kingdom of God has come. And that's how you're going to know when end times are coming. I, I seriously believe that. You know, Where is it that Jesus makes the statement about... Um, a house divided cannot long stand. That's part of this, too. Okay. Yeah, he makes the same argument. There were so many of them, I just I just try to save them for uh, when it comes up again in 12. Uh, oh, no. No, no, he does say it. And he says, isn't that stupid? Your argument makes no sense, is what he's saying. Why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would he do that? He went through all the trouble to get in there. What? Yeah. Uh, so, once again, they, they try. He just basically humiliates them you know, with their own stupid argument. And it goes on in verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. What Jesus is doing is systematically working his way through the country. He's teaching in the synagogues. And, and you know, these synagogues in these little towns, they're they're like one room one room buildings. I mean, you know, they're just tiny little places. Some of them, uh, there's not much to them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I, the crowds Jesus was gathering. I'm assuming they'd had to stand outside a lot of them, uh, preaching to people everywhere he taught and preached. He did miracles to validate his words. Um, the miracles were there to have you pay attention to the words. Apparently, the accusation of the Pharisees had no effect on Jesus' status with the people because people just kept showing up and Jesus just kept going. Verse 36 says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So, he's there to do his mission. He is, you know, all of history revolves around his what he's doing right here, right now, all of creation. Uh, all of heaven, all of earth, and yet you still get this personal feel for Jesus Christ as he encounters these people. He, know, he knew they needed saved before the earth was created, but when he sees it, he feels it. And this is part of understanding that our God is emotional. 
And that troubles us sometimes because we know what we're like when we're emotional. Uh, we know what we do, and we always associate it with anger. But what I tell you is thank God that he's emotional because with that emotion comes this compassion, this love, this care. And, you know, he's, he's walking around up north among these people who are just lost. And uh, it breaks his heart uh, that they're coming to see him. And they, they just have no idea what he was there for and what he was doing. The heart of God is exposed in one verse. The why is explained. Jesus did what he did because he loved and cared for them. Uh, we are distressed and dispirited by life in a fallen world, separated from God, and we're receiving no spirit. And they were receiving no spiritual help from their religious leaders. That sheep without a shepherd thing—that's uh, that's an accusation against the spiritual leaders who were supposed to be doing their job, and they weren't. He showed up in a time when there was no spiritual leadership. There was none that were, you know, that it had all become political. It had all become social. You know, uh, the Romans, the, you know, money. Uh, this might sound familiar. Uh, you know, most of the ministries revolved around money. Uh, it, it was a sort of sad time, and it broke God's heart that that had happened. This is what happened to my people. Um, he was the only hope in a hopeless environment, and that can weigh heavy on your soul and apparent you know when uh never lose sight of the things that jesus shows emotion they're really important there's they're very short and they're like one verse but they really matter uh if you want to know your god uh know these things uh this uh when lazarus died he wept uh for the people who were sad because Lazarus died, he felt their pain. He knew Lazarus was going to rise, and you know he wasn't worried about that. But he saw the pain and anguish on the the people who had lost Lazarus, and it broke his heart. Uh, also, Jesus coming to Jerusalem uh, for the last time, and he stops and looks at Jerusalem from the outside and begins to cry, uh, crying for the people who were going to butcher him. And he said, "How I long to gather you in and tuck you under my wing." but you won't let me. Uh, that's the heart of God. And that's the God we serve. And in them three little sentences in these four little occasions, you know God better. Uh, so when you think of God, think of those things. Uh, so, as he is, he was the only hope in this hopeless environment. Well, so are we in this world. Uh, we are his representative. We are the, his light reflecting off of us. I don't know if times you watch the news and it uh, weighs heavy on you. It does on me. There are times I just look at it and I just want to cry. Uh, wow. Man, are we bad. And, you know, it's just heartbreaking because I don't see a solution. I, I don't know what can be done. It seems hopeless. And then I realize that, well, <laughs> the hope resides in me. Um, I, it's okay to have your heart broken by the heart of God. Um, but the same things that break the heart of God. But uh, you can't lose hope. Um, you, you know what we're here for. It's one of the reasons you're still on this planet and you're not with him, is to be that light. Uh, this is what we should feel when we look out at humanity and consider the, their plight as a whole. The heart of Abraham, if you will remember, uh, as uh, they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them. 
And uh, Abraham pleads for them. He knows how evil they are. He knows how wicked they are. He, you notice he's not living there. I mean, it, it, Sodom and Gomorrah were uh, filthy rich. They were just living in uh, wealth beyond your belief. And uh, he wasn't living there. He wouldn't go there. Um, and he pleads, you know, Lord, don't destroy the whole town for the sake of 50. And, you know, if there are 50 righteous people. And he goes, God said, I won't. And, not, and he goes all the way down to 10. I mean, these are thriving towns. Ten. <laughs> are there ten righteous people? God said, if there's ten, I won't. But the beauty of that whole account is God saying, I am going down to see for myself. I'm not just going to wipe them out just willy-nilly because I like doing that. I like throwing lightning bolts. You know, God said, I'm going down to make sure. And to me, what that says is God knows what they're doing. He wants to be there to get the visceral effect, to feel it. To, you know, to sense that evil. And, well, we all know how that ended. But that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be Abraham. We're supposed to be like Jesus. That That's how our hearts should be. And I find myself a lot of times uh, complaining about the evil people and why don't you do something about them, Lord? Um, well, he did do something. He saved me and you to be a light to them. That's what he did. And I think it would just be easier if he dealt with them, but that's not what he chose to do. Uh, he regarded us, uh, Jesus Christ personally saw our helpless estate and it affected him emotionally. Even though he knew it, now he felt it. That's the best, the emotion struck him of the facts. It became up close and personal. Yes, yes, it, it became personal. There are always the facts which he always knew. He's omniscient. Right. Now he feels the facts, yeah. Then he said to his disciples, now remember his heart is broken by what he sees of the people, and this is his words, because his heart is broken. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's seeing this coming even before he's dead. He's seeing what's going to need to happen, and he, what he's saying is, we need a lot more than what we got. Uh, there are so many that need help, but so few to help. Even though there were many, many in such positions then who were not helping. I mean, there was a whole system set up by God to help. Scribes, Pharisees, priests, high priests, that was their job. They weren't doing it. They had focused on themselves uh, when we, you, matter in God's plan for mankind. We are the answer. Well, there was the 70 that Moses set up that was still there. Yep. And it as we help each other, uh, as we help each other fall, we're used to help each other return to God. Uh, we are, we are as human beings involved in both sides of this. Uh, before we come to the Lord, we're as much at fault as anybody. You know, we gather with others to do evil, and then the Lord decides. What that's what Paul said. I'm amazed that God used me, because <laughs> I'm the worst of all of them. And he wasn't kidding. And like I said, when Paul said that. I am the worst. He that wasn't him being um, uh, what's the word? Uh, faking humility. He's speaking truth, and he he said because he said it. He said it proves that if God could use me, the worst of everybody, then He can use you, and that's almost what I'm saying here. God can use you. I don't care what you think your limitations are. I don't care how you know. It doesn't matter. 
it's the God plus you makes uh, uh, you know the majority. That's all there is to it. It is the part of the image of Christ we're being conformed to. This part of having our heart broken by the things that break his heart. Also uh, said again later in Luke, Luke 10, 1 through 3, it says, Now after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and places where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest, into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That's Luke's way of saying it. Um, so his response was, there are so few, but he picked 70 people out of the people who were following him and sent them out in front of him. Well, isn't that what we do? Because honestly, we don't actually lead anyone to the Lord. The Holy Spirit does that. He sends us out in front of them uh, to prepare the way, to prepare the hearts, to prepare the minds. And mostly by seeing how we live, uh, because not all of us are called to be evangelists. Very few of us are. But all of us are called to, called to live a righteous life, and that is a witness that can't be... Uh, well, that's why they couldn't say anything bad about Jesus. His life was righteous. Uh, verse 38, Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus put some of the responsibility for his plan onto mankind, for mankind upon his own. So he's already starting this. He's before he dies, before we become the light that he is. Remember, remember what I said. Jesus at first said, "I am the light," and then later he says, "You are the light," because he's leaving. Uh, he's getting them ready for that. You ask the Lord for help when the task seems too big, when when the need appears to be great, when mankind seems to be broken. Care about this. Don't just throw up your hands and say it's too far gone to for anyone to help. Do what you can do, and then turn what you cannot do over to God. It's just that simple. Turn to me. It says, beseech God to help you do what he sends you out to do. Uh, learn it now. I work in and through you. Without me, you have no ministry or impact uh, on the perpetual sadness in this world. Uh, if it all seems too big, if, it all, if it's so bad that it seems hopeless, that's because without God, it is hopeless. And God, it dwells inside of you. Everywhere you go, he goes with you. The Holy Spirit is there. You cannot fix what is broken. Only work God working through you can mend the wounds that this world has caused. And brothers and sisters, there's a whole lot of people out there who are wounded very deeply. Uh, they believe the lies. They so bought into the lies. And they paid terribly for those lies. So instead of telling them how wrong they are and instead of judging them it would be best to care for them as Jesus did and feel that pity that he felt um, moving on to chapter two Ooh, we finished a chapter yay uh, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples now he sends out people in front of him then he summons the 12 and gave them 12 people, authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out until every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus gave authority uh, that he had, that was his to give. 
The fact that he could give it to others shows how complete and overwhelming his authority over spiritual and physical matters is. Uh, he could delegate and it still gets done. He is the Lord of all things. If he, I guess what I'm saying is if he could use me or you to do his will, he is really powerful. Uh, yeah, The twelve were set aside as special just as the 12 tribes of Israel were set aside as special to God. Uh, the number of 12, is, I n never did believe, was uh, a casual number. I think it was meant to reflect, because remember what he said to the 12, you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's 12 of them, and they will judge. Those 12 will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, we're going to get to you know, that ministry part of it. Uh, note, Jesus does not list himself as one among them. This is, notes that Jesus was bigger than the message they were sent to preach. He is the message. Jesus is the message. In this verse, uh, the twelve are called disciples. It assumes we know who they are, because it doesn't name them right here. It does later, but it just says the twelve, and it assumes you know who they are. In the next verse, the twelve are named for clarity and are called apostles all apostles this is what you need to know all apostles are disciples but only 12 disciples are the apostles now there are other disciples and I'll get into this that are called apostles but the apostles with that capital T-H-E that's the 12 uh, you can't be an apostle without being a disciple uh, now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, the son of Zebedee, James, and John, his brother. Uh, so, they're named in groups of two. Jesus had multiple, a multitude of followers, many disciples, but only twelve of the apostles. Notable that Peter is listed first, even though his brother Andrew was first called. Uh, from the Bible exposition commentary, the Greek word apostolo, which means to send forth with commission. That's what the word apostle means. You've been sent out by someone with authority to do something. It was used by the Greeks for personal representatives of the kings, ambassadors who, what we would call an ambassador to, to England, would they would call an apost the American apostle to England, I guess is the best way to look at that. Uh, who function with the king's authority to make light of the king's envoys was to be in danger of insubordination. Uh, in other words, they were so he invested so much power in them that if you confronted them, you were confronting the king. Uh, disciples follow, apostles are sent. They're followers who are sent. That's the difference. By the one they follow with his authority. In Hebrews 3, Jesus is referred to, and this is, this is interesting. In Hebrews 3, Jesus is referred to as the apostle. And why would you think that would be? Because he was sent by God with all of God's authority. It, it, they call him the apostle, noting that he was sent by God with his authority. Uh, and John 20 explains this from Hebrews 3 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's called the apostle of God and our high priest sits between us. The apostle of the one that God sent sits between us and God. 
the high priest, and comes to God for our, on our sake, which is what the high priest's job was. So Jesus Christ is described in one sentence, you know, his entire who he is to us. Now John 20, 21 through 22 says this, And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, which makes him what? An apostle. I also send you, which makes them what? Apostles. And he has said this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So he didn't send them without the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit fell on everyone at Pentecost, but there, you know, we miss this sometimes, that this happened before Pentecost. Acts 1, 21 through 26. Qualifications for an apostle listed as they replaced Judas. This, this is interesting. This is becoming one of the apostles. See, it's important that you understand what's, when the word apostle is being used, who it's being directed to. This isn't a general apostle. They need to replace Judas, the apostle Judas, with an apostle to be one of the twelve. It says, therefore it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went on in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's one of the qualifications for replacing Judas. He had to be there the whole time. He had to see it all. He had to see Jesus die. He had to see him raised. So they put forth two men, Joseph called uh, Bersabbas, uh, not Barabbas, but Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Mattathias. They prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two you choose to occupy this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas, Judas turned aside to go to his own place. What a, what a unique way to put what Judas, Judas did, turned aside to go to his own place. He hung himself. It yeah, almost artistically. They drew lots, which is what the Old Testament says to do. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. The 11 apostles. Now, in Acts 14, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle along with Paul. Not one of the apostles, but an apostle. Boy, I hope I'm not overkilling this, but you need to understand it. Because when you read it, it could be confusing. When you read it, how did he become an apostle? Because there was 12 of them. Well, no. There was the 12 apostles. Then there were other apostles. You have to put the capital T, the, in front of it. In Acts 14.4, speaking of, this was said of Paul and uh, Barnabas. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some sided with the apostles. Plural. There's two of them. Calling both Paul, the scriptures calling both Paul and Barnabas an apostle. Now, Paul wasn't one of the twelve. But Paul's a little different. Because Jesus Christ showed up and directly sent him out as an apostle in his vision. You know, when he, had, when he was on the road and he was, yeah. Uh, Paul was an apostle appointed directly by Jesus to take his message to the Gentiles. Barnabas is most likely referred to as an apostle because he was sent by the church, most likely the church in Jerusalem. Sent out with their authority to do what he's doing. Apostle is used to refer to strong followers of Jesus Christ who were sent by the Spirit, not just one of the twelve sent directly by Jesus. Uh, there's some others. If you look at Romans 16, 7, uh, 1, 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, 6, Silas, 
is called that. Second Corinthians two uh, twenty three explains the use of the word when Titus is referred to as an apostle, which says this: As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches. A glory to Christ messengers of the churches so what they're saying is instead of saying the word apostle they call them messengers of the churches apostle is here translated as the word in the text is apostle it's just translated as messenger of the churches so so not all disciples are apostles but all apostles are disciples and not all the apostles are the 12 apostles <laughs> i know that stuff but when you read scripture, it really helps to know that because you don't get confused over when you see the word apostle, you're not thinking about just one of those 12 because it's all through there. Oh, I hope that, that helped. Yeah, okay, I hope it helped. <laughs> Verse 3. Uh, he's still naming them uh, by twos. Philip and Bartholomew, uh, Nathaniel of Cana is what we would know him as. Uh, by the way, uh, that could be confusing too. These guys have are known by different names, uh, just like Robert and Bob. You know what I mean? It, it happens there, too. And when it's used, you go, who's that guy? And it was the guy that was just talked about by a different name. Uh, you know, uh, like, and Robert and Bob are maybe the easiest way to understand this. It's the same person. Uh, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son, another James, the son of Elpheus and Thaddeus. Uh, Judas, is, Judas uh, brother of James, Thaddeus was actually referred to as Judas in other places. You don't hear almost anything about him. Uh, this is the other Judas. Uh, maybe they use another name because they don't want to associate it with uh, Judas. Uh, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Uh, Iscariot most likely may mean uh, from uh, Kirioth, a Judean town. It, it may... Saying Judas Iscariot would be like saying Jeff from West Mifflin, you know, so you don't confuse him with another Jeff. Um, then it says the one who betrayed him. So when Matthew wrote this, he's putting in, he's assuming that we know some of these things, that we already know that he did that. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go to the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. That's really interesting. It's actually it gets some gets even more interesting when you get down to verse eighteen, which let me see how far we're going to get here before I. No, we're not going to get that far. Um, Jesus says, "Stay on mission," and keeps his disciples on it. His ministry was first to fulfill the promises of Scripture, the promises made to Israel of the kingdom covenant, the promises made to Abraham are being fulfilled first. I made the promises. I'm sticking to them. I'm going to fulfill them. Uh, God keeps his word. Now, it's interesting that the Samaritans are noted as something distinct from the Gentiles. It says, don't go to see the Gentiles or don't go to the Samaritans as if they were some special group that is not lumped in with Gentiles. They were what we call quasi-Jews or, if you want to, quasi-Gentiles. Uh, remember later when Jesus was leaving, he instructed them to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Uh, but for right now, the promise to the Jews is going to be fulfilled. 
He instructed them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In verse 18, Jesus tells them this. This is after he tells them, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. In verse 13, he tells them that they will be brought to the Gentiles as a testimony to them about who Jesus is. They are not to go to the Gentiles, but they will be brought to the Gentiles to testify. So, people read that and they get a little flustered. What, doesn't Jesus care about the Gentiles? No, there was always the plan for the Gentiles. What he's telling them is right here, right now, this is what we're doing. And it has to do with my promise, uh, which God keeps his word. He always did. Where is it that the instructions are first the Jews, then the Samaritans, and then the rest of the world? Um, and then to the outermost. That's at the end. And I believe that is uh, at the end of John, which is where most of those things are. So I'm going to assume it was there. At the end of that last couple chapters of John is really powerful about what our, what our message is. Can't say for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where it's at. Mark wrote, Jesus sent them out in pairs which may be why they are listed in pairs. Mark says this, from the, this is the same occurrence. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs, which Matthew didn't say, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he instructed them they should take nothing on their journey except for a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Uh, let me take this to 2 Kings 17, 24 through 29. Uh, just, we need a little clarity on the Samaritans. And this is from uh, around 722 B.C. I know we've talked about this before, but being Jesus went out of his way to mention them specifically. Uh, the, the Gentiles is everyone in the world but the Jews, and the Samaritans are a separate little group inside of that. The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and that other place, whatever that is, that's a word, and settled them in the cities of Samaria, which is in the northern kingdom of Israel, in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in the cities. So basically, when uh, the king of Assyria overthrew the northern kingdom and took the people out of there, he sent his people in uh, to take the land. It didn't leave the land vacant. He, he sent his people in. At the beginning of living there, they did not fear the Lord. Of course they didn't. They didn't know who he was. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Wow. <laughs> so they spoke to the king of Sirius. I mean, if you have enough lions killing people that you go to the king and say, hey, something's wrong, lions are killing us, uh, saying, the nations whom you have carried away into exiles in the cities of Samaria do not know the customs of the God of the land. So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they killed them because they do not know. <laughs> yeah, that's how I know it's done. Oh. Uh, they have killed because they don't know the custom of the land. So, they take the Jews out of the northern kingdom, this one particular spot in the northern kingdom, and they send his own people in, and when they get there, uh, this is still God's, <laughs> God's holy land, uh, they don't know him. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Lines come and start eating them up. They they know why it's happening. Uh, apparently, I mean, there are still prophets of the Lord down south in Ju in Judea, and uh, they know why. And they go back to the king and say, "Hey, help! You you sent us here. G the God that controls this is really mad at us, and he's killing us." Um, the king of Assyria uh, commanded them, saying. Uh, 
Take there one of their priests whom you carried away into exile and let him go and live there and let him teach them the customs of the God of the land. So the king says, yeah, come get a priest, take him back there and listen to what he tells you. So one of the priests whom they carried away into exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel. And Bethel is quite the place in scripture. A lot of good things happened there. Um, uh, where was that? Uh, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in houses on high places uh, which the people of Samaria had made. Every nation in their city in which they lived. That is the Samarians. Now, the Sumerians adopted some of these uh, beliefs of Israel. Uh, but what they did is they made their own temple up there, not in Jerusalem, and they believed that God could only be found in the temple in their land and not in the temple in Jerusalem, which is why the Jews despised them. That's why when Jesus went to visit the Sumerian town, and they said to him, get out of here, because they asked him a question. Are you going to the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, yes. They said, leave. <laughs> it all connects. So with it would be like the division between the Protestants and the Catholics when the Reformation hit. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. That They really didn't like each other over theological issues. And the Samaritans weren't really connected. They weren't Jews by blood. I'm assuming they went through the ritual of circumcision and everything else because they were taught it. But uh, it, it was a strange situation. So that explains why he says the Gentiles and the Samaritans, not them either. Because you could have considered them sort of Jewish. And so he's saying something very important. They're not, is what he's saying. And I will leave with verse 6. It says, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what you should think of when you hear that is Jesus saying uh, what the parable it says, when a man loses it, one sheep, he has a whole herd of flock of sheep. Think of that as the world. And there's the one sheep that goes astray, uh, one that he cares very dearly for. I will stop everything. I will leave those sheep and go get that one sheep. That is exactly what he's doing here. Uh, so it's nothing personal against the Gentiles. He has a great plan for us. And it, it, like I said in a couple verses, it comes up. Don't go to them, but you will be captured and they will be brought before them to witness who I am. To do what I'm sending you to do now. You don't go to them. Yeah, start here. You don't have to go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will bring you to them, is what he says a few verses later. Which, it's easy to lose that, but he always cares for the Gentiles. And I always think of it as that one lost sheep that I will leave everything else to go get. And um, that applies to everybody. But he's living it out through Israel. And, uh, and, he's, and he's fulfilling scripture, which is, he always did. Uh, you know, he made the promise, they fulfill it. God keeps his promises. Any questions, comments, or criticisms? Anything we need to know? Um, I have one. On the Judas Iscariot, uh, my underwording here has Canaanian. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's the word I said. That That's basically suggesting that the reason Iscariot uh, is saying where he came from. Okay. It's not his last name. It's not who he's the son of. Um uh, 
as I said, Jesus would have been addressed as uh, Jesus bar Joseph. Jesus, son of Joseph. That bar means son of. Uh, it's not in scripture that way. The Greeks didn't, you know, and how this was translated, it was just assumed. But uh, it's interesting uh, because this is the beginning of Christian works. This is the beginning of Christianity and the good works that we are sent to do right here. Right here. I mean, it's official. He calls them in and he gives them the authority to do it. And he says, go do it. Does that mean Joshua would have been Joshua bar none? <laughs> yes. Yes, it would have meant that. Joshua the son of Nun would have been Joshua bar none. I like that. Oh, my Frank. Way to go, buddy. Good catch. Uh, anything else? If not, let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word and all these things you're teaching us, Lord. And I, I thank you for these folks that want to go this deep on it. It's, uh, it's a rare thing and I appreciate them. And I just ask, Lord, that whatever you taught us finds a home in our heart and changes us. And when it changes us, we become a good reflection of you, Lord. And we are able to fulfill these things you sent us to do. Watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. And help them to glorify your name and what they think, what they do, and what they say. In Jesus' name, amen.